From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. Scott Morrison's signature achievement could be the tax cuts that he legislated earlier this month, although not for the reasons he believes. Over time, the changes to revenue will likely transform the country. Mike Seckham on the truth about small government. My question is addressed to the Prime Minister. What programs and services will be cut to fund stage three of the government's tax scheme? The Prime Minister. None. Mike, Scott Morrison says that not a single program, not a single service will be cut to fund his tax reforms. Can that be true? Well, it's hard to see how it could be true. He's massively reducing the government's revenue base with these changes. If he and the government are to be uh, believed, what they're going to simultaneously do is reduce taxes, reduce government debt by surplus budgeting, and reduce the size of the government overall relative to the economy, and do all this while maintaining programs and services. Mike Seckham is the Saturday Paper's national correspondent. It sounds a bit like a magic pudding. And the entire magic pudding, of course, depends on the economy growing at a very rapid clip in order to make all the numbers add up. Morrison sings the praises of small government. Can you tell me what he means when he says that? Essentially, it comes back to a particular worldview, which is that individuals are the best managers of their money, that it's better to have the money in people's pockets rather than going to the government. The general theory here is that there's very little that can be done by government that can't be done better by the private sector. So wherever possible, cut the size of government. Wherever possible, give people tax cuts. They believe that will stimulate economic activity. More than government intervention. More than government intervention, that's right. And can you tell me about the expectations that Morrison has about what will happen to government spending? At the moment, government outlays are around 24.9% of GDP, which is to say the overall economy. The plan is to cut that to 23.6% over 10 years, which I know doesn't sound like much, but when you look at the detail, this involves an enormous, unprecedented austerity in government spending. So when you have a look, for example, at the amount by which government spending grows each year, which it always does, of course, because Australia's population grows each year, for the most part, we grow a little wealthier each year, so as a result, the government gets more money and spends more money. So over the past 40 years, government spending has intended to increase pretty much in line with the economy generally. It goes counter-cyclically. So when the economy is going well, government expenditure tends to not grow quite as fast. When the economy is going badly, government expenditure tends to rise a little more quickly because, you know, it funds welfare and stimulus. Under Prime Minister's Fraser, Hawke, Keating, Howard, Rudd and Gillard, federal government spending grew by around 35 to 3.8% on average. But since the election of the Abbott government, that growth rate has declined sharply. And on the numbers in the 2019 budget, they're looking to have it fall further to 1.8%. And when we say that we're looking at a government shaving back on their spending, what does that actually mean? Well, essentially, I mean, if the government has less money, there's fewer things it can do. So it means less spending on programs and services. I might add that this has already been happening, of course, under the government to date and is seen by the government as a great achievement. The budget papers boast, and I'm quoting here, spending growth under this government has been the lowest of any government in 50 years. Tightening eligibility and freezing indexation contributed to lower growth over much of the past decade and is forecast to halve in the years ahead. What they're essentially saying there is people who are getting benefits of one kind or another see them not growing as fast as they would otherwise. 
So essentially what they're saying here is they've managed this on the backs of low-income earners who tend to be the ones who use those government benefits and services. The, the Budget Policy Program Director at the Grattan Institute, Danielle Wood, puts it quite simply. Essentially what this means is the government is banking on there being no new spending programs over this period. That's going to bite in a number of areas. Let's take one of those. How about health? Historically, health has tended to grow at a reasonably rapid clip. And there's obvious reasons for that. For one, the population's growing. For another, the population's getting older. As we get older, of course, we tend to consume more health services. And of course, the other aspect of it is that there are constantly medical advances. There's new drugs, there's new technologies, there's new services, and those things come at a cost. Despite all this, the government is banking on cutting the rate of growth in spending by nearly three quarters. And when you look at the detail of how they plan to do it, what you see is that a lot of this is predicated on making huge savings on pharmaceuticals paid for by the government through the pharmaceutical benefit scheme. A number of widely used and reasonably expensive drugs are going to come off patent over the next five years, which will allow the substitution of cheaper generics. And so the government sees that there will be big cost savings there. But, <laughs> but. I can feel one coming. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but... Of course, new drugs come along all the, all the time, including a whole new range of genomic drugs, which are very, very, very expensive. So essentially, in making their savings, they're kind of looking backwards. Mm. But if they look forwards, they will see that it's unlikely that they will be able to save the amount of money they think. Alternatively, if they do, it will be by denying Australians the benefits of medical advances. It's a very hard-hearted government that holds out against these things. And that, of course, imperils a public health system that is often described as the envy of the world. Yes, that's right. Um, coming back to sort of first principles here, where Scott Morrison promises there will be no cuts, this is a classic example of the sort of semantic evasion involved here. Because, sure, the amount spent on health will go up, but it will go up at a much slower rate than it always has, and the amount spent per person will go down, even as the need for health services increases. We can see more cost being pushed back onto individuals. And of course, that's what happens with small government. We'll be right back. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for, please. <laughs> Please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy. Yeah, yeah, if that's that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Honourable members, the Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. With tax relief now secured... For all hard-working Australians, I move that the House do now adjourn. Question is that the motion moved by the Prime Minister be agreed to. All those of that opinion say aye. Aye. The contrary, no. 
the ayes have it. The House stands adjourned until Monday 22 July 2019. Scott Morrison has passed his huge tax cuts package. He says they won't lead to a cut in services and he points to America for their efficacy in this area. Are they a good example for us to follow? Uh, in a word, no. America is the place in the world that has most assiduously implemented this sort of trickle-down economic theory that if you give tax cuts to wealthy people, that will encourage them to invest in productive endeavours, which will in turn lead to jobs and growth, uh, a very familiar phrase. If we look, for example, at Donald Trump's America at the moment, which on the surface seems to be motoring along nicely, right? The uh, unemployment rate is pretty low, the economy's growing. But if you have a look at the detail, particularly since Trump effectively halved the corporate tax rate a couple of years ago, you see that most of that extra money went to share buybacks and other means by which it was put into the pockets of the wealthiest Americans. A recent report by the Congressional Research Service found that America's economy wasn't growing any more rapidly after the tax cuts than it was before. My administration is working every day to lift the burdens on our companies and on our workers. So in other words, it was already going pretty well. So that you can thrive, compete and grow. Tax cuts did nothing to increase the overall rate of growth of the economy. Instead, they redirected money into the pockets of wealthy people and thus further increased inequality. And at the very centre of that plan is a giant, beautiful, massive, the biggest ever in our country, tax cut. Now, in the 2020 budget, Trump is promising to eviscerate, and I'm quoting there from the Los Angeles Times, America's social safety net further. And let's face it, America's social safety net is already pretty scant and holy. And the targets of those cuts are the things that we know cost a great deal, right? Social security, but also Medicare and Medicaid in the US and in our version, a public health system. They're going to be the first things that get targeted. Yes, that, that's exactly right. Huge cuts, to again quote the LA Times. And the interesting thing here is that before he was elected, Trump tweeted specifically that he would not at any point cut Social Security, Medicare or Medicaid. Effectively, it was a lie. And, you know, that's unnerving. Obviously, these are similar promises that we're hearing from our own Prime Minister right now. What is it that we can expect in Australia, do you think? The tax cuts that were legislated last week are estimated to cost about $300 billion over the decade to 2029-30. The uh, theory by which they would be affordable is that the economy would grow very rapidly, such that even though the government became a smaller share of GDP, GDP would be so much larger that the government would be able to maintain its services. Budget forecasts suggest that real GDP will grow 2.5%, for example, in 2019-20. And yet growth in the year to March was only 1.9%. And the indications are that the economy is continuing to soften. Mm. So there are a series of these heroic, was the word that a lot of economists use to me, assumptions contained in the budget. The other one is wages. Now, as we know, wages have more or less flatlined for the past six years. They've been really no greater than inflation for the most part. 
but it's predicted that they will accelerate from 1.8% per year to 3.5% over the next two years, and then we'll keep going gangbusters into the future. That's one huge assumption, that one. That's one huge assumption. And if these assumptions come true, it's great because obviously those extra wages will be taxed and that extra economic growth will be taxed and that will go into government coffers and will allow it to fulfil its other promises of giving us a surplus budget and not cutting services. But because they compound over time, all they have to do is be out by a little bit and we will arrive at a point in five years' time where suddenly it becomes apparent that the magic pudding (laughs) hasn't risen and something will have to give. The government will either have to abandon its surplus plans or it will have to start cutting services. And given that this is a conservative government, we can see where that's likely to end up. I mean, even as things now stand, we can see some of this ideology in action. There have already been big slashing to certain areas of spending. Housing services, for example, according to the Grattan Institute figures, was cut by an average of 11.7% per year, every year between 2014 and 2018. And when you look at the forecasts, the plan is to reduce it by another 4.5% a year out to 2023. So those are real cuts. You know, look around and wonder why the rate of homelessness is growing so fast. Well, the government's not doing very much to address it. And in your opinion, Mike, is that essentially what small government looks like? I mean, if you look around the world, what you see is small government, smaller, meaner, less equal society. It's pretty much as simple as that. Mike, thanks so much. My pleasure. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Elsewhere in the news... The Queensland Supreme Court action against Clive Palmer and companies connected to his failed Queensland nickel enterprise has been pushed back after Palmer said his key witness was incapacitated. Palmer is refusing to pay debts despite claiming huge cash reserves. He says he is fighting on behalf of Australians struggling with liquidators, although his company called in liquidators. He said, quote, I've got a moral responsibility not to give up, to bring these things to the public for so that people can understand what's happening. It's for the greater good. And Andrew Colvin has announced he will not extend his contract as Commissioner of the Australian Federal Police. He will stand down in September. In a statement, he said it was, quote, the right decision for me, my family, and for the AFP. Colvin has worked closely with Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton, who praised him for his inspirational leadership, diligence, and hard work in protecting the community. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you Wednesday. Wednesday.